Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we are going to talk to JP Mello. JP leads the Cisco Sports Media and Entertainment Market for the Americas and is based in Florida. He has solid experience in building new business models and growing markets for more than 20 years. He's a board member and investor in multiple companies from technological innovation to franchise operations, such as the School of Rock in Brazil and Europe. He's also the co-founder of a music education training NGO focused on young people in vulnerable situations. So you can see that we have a lot to talk about today, right, JP? Welcome. It's so good to have you with us today. Oh, thank you, Maria. Thank you, everyone and Future Hacker. Thank you for the listeners of the podcast. Just first and foremost, I'm a big lover of the podcast. I love the way that you positioned uh, different verticals, different knowledge, so we can all learn together. And I hope that I, you know, I can teach a little bit on my experiences, but more than importantly, uh, learn from the other podcasts moving forward. Thank you again for the invitation. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And you know what? For the Brazilians that might be listening to this podcast, if you're not aware, actually, it's the second time JP is with us. So he started with the Brazilian channel in Portuguese uh, with our host, André Chaves. And we loved him so much that we asked him to come back and do the English version. So thanks again for your availability to be with us, JP. <laughs> so let's begin. Like most of the future hackers we've been talking to, Since a very young age, you had access to technologies and to international experience. So I see that that's something very, very in common with most of our guests. They had both access to technology early, early on, and then the possibility of, of living an international experience and sometimes many, right? So for sure, this helps you get where you are today. Can you give our listeners a snapshot of your journey? Sure, Maria, I appreciate that. That is something that brought a lot of value to who I am today. You know, all these technology access, but not only the access, but the curiosity to find new things. I remember, you know, we're talking about music and for those who listen to my podcast in Portuguese, I love music. I learned to play drums when I lived in New York, when I was around 10 years old or 11 years old uh, back in 89. But I used to bang in uh, milk cans in my home with my pencils, right? Just pretending to be a drummer when I was maybe six year old. It's eight years of age. I programmed BASIC on a computer called TK90X, which my father gave it to me. But before that, I was fooling around with uh, chemistry kits, with uh, electronic kits for kids, right? So I think curiosity comes from you and then the access to whatever you can use with that curiosity and also the different cultures, then it can exponentially grow on your learnings and again, abilities to think outside the box. So I'm very happy and humbled to be uh, born with this family that gave me this opportunity and then taking to my journey throughout the many companies, not as an employee, because I was first an, uh, an entrepreneur. I had my own company at around 21 years of age, learned to be an entrepreneur at that time, 
but most importantly, bringing to the companies that I worked uh, afterwards, including Cisco nowadays, to be an entrepreneur inside the company and not a traditional employee. You know, you definitely raise an important part, which is it also depends on, on you, right? It depends on your type of personality, if you're a curious person, if you're not afraid to take risks as well, uh, besides the environment that you grow. So you're definitely right. Uh, so JP, you work with one of the few sectors that actually had an increase in demand due to the pandemic, right? Thanks to the restrictions, there was this increase in digital entertainment, in games, in, in media, and the sector had to go through this reinvention. For sure, there was an acceleration of the innovations that probably would have taken a little longer to be spread as they were due to the market demand. Do you have any example of advancements that you could share with us that applied to entertainment and media? Of course, Maria. And I think that's a, a fair statement on the media side, as you portrayed. Uh, so that has been growing a lot. The streaming, the on-demand media, you know, Netflix of the world, Amazon Primes and others had a huge demand and a growing demand, not only on the actual content that they build, but also parallel to that demand in other sports such as esports or even drone racing league there's a league just for drones to race against each other and they were able to portray a version a pen let's quote unquote pandemic version using virtual drones to race against each other using their simulators other than using real drones in real life experiences so that was the upside and a good thing on my sector on part of the sector that i'm responsible the other part had a downside which is live events right so the live events got you know completely out of the map we didn't know what to do we had to create solutions to getting fans safely back to the stadiums and to your question i think on both sides on the upside and on the downside we were able to learn on how to use the technologies that we have today but most importantly the culture amongst us was able to address and use that technology in a way that was they were blocking the technology because oh we prefer face-to-face -face meetings so let's get into a room or let's uh, have a cup of coffee and, and have a meeting and now we're even I, i don't know 10 20 times more productive even though cisco for example is a company that from its initial dna We are always like the quote-unquote anywhere office. So I live in Miami. I'm responsible for all the Americas. Before the pandemic, I needed to travel a lot. During the pandemic, I was very, very productive using the technologies that we have at hand today. And this is because we have this culture. But the other side is the other people that didn't have that culture started to having that culture exponentially. So we're doing this recording of this podcast remotely, even though we haven't met physically yet. I hope we do so someday, but we're being productive and, you know, generating content, generating knowledge through this. And with sports, you know, people touching base with different activations using streaming, people interacting with sports, with esports, players playing more games that they used to before because now they're home, they don't have to commute to work. So they have maybe one to two hours additional on their day so they can stay home and do things like learn music or interact with games or 
learn a bit about sports statistics or you know deep dive on documentaries which was a huge demand as an alternative there's one research that we were reading the other day with statista that the most used or the most viewed content during the pandemic as an alternative to sports are sports documentaries not even live sports without audiences because we are bound to want to learn something so the pandemic brought a huge exponential acceleration in the use of technology in multiple verticals sports and entertainment we were able to portray for example machine learning technologies and ai with video information so we can calculate the volume of people inside a stadium and see if they're socially distanced or not with the same solution that we used before for you know queue management system and line management system but just revamping it for the pandemic state right so i think there were upsides and downsides and this is why we need to be creative always outside of the box in our comfort zone you know you had a great point and that's definitely going to be my next question as you know sports and any live event for sure it was such a huge shock and we have the case that it was mentioned in the brazilian interview of Cirque du Soleil for example that you know they just couldn't handle that right so my question to you is the following we're now seeing these huge investments in immersive technologies right so basically we have all those innovations around people being in different places, not necessarily at their home, but they, they are able to see things and interact with things that are not close to them. So it's a whole different experience. And sometimes it depends on the technology they can actually feel, they can actually smell and not only see and interact. But from this point to making this widely, broadly available, making this available to regular people at home, so they are able to monetize somehow is a whole different story. How far do you think we are from being able to actually monetize? Because I understand the supply and demand and but being able to make money out of it. Right now, you're just testing those things. So when do you think this is actually going to happen in a way that the next pandemic is not going to be shutting down all the business like it did, right? Yeah, that's a great point. So the Cirque du Soleil case is, it's just not about Cirque du Soleil itself. It's about how you handle business in diverse situations, right? Our former CEO, for example, at Cisco, John Chambers, he went through a lot of numerous economic downturns and Cisco was able to learn from these economic or political or worldwide downturns and try to reinvent itself to get into the next phase. Some business luckily have that mindset and are able to do those changes or have uh, in-company cash and et cetera to do so. And some others might not have it. And unfortunately, Cirque du Soleil, like many other companies in the sports, media and entertainment sector, weren't able to survive because then it's a matter of a preparation on business. And even though nobody was expecting a pandemic, right? So this is, was outside of any textbooks from any universities. And with that, you know, the way that uh, the technologies that can add value to these companies, for example, we have a study called the Digital Vortex. The Digital Vortex we did with IMD in Switzerland, the Institute of Management Development. And it studies how digital transformation disrupt the industry and the different industries, right? So digital transformation, meaning if you're not going after and being up to date on the technology and the usage of technology, you're going to be disrupted. 
you know, and then th that study says that four out of 10 companies are suffering disruption because of digital transformation. Some examples are, you know, Radio Shack, right? Radio Shack is a company that we all know, especially here in the US. My example at Radio Shack, I went to Radio Shack, it was like Disneyland for, for uh, retail for nerds. Let's put it that way, right? Uh, so we were able to buy all these electronic equipments and build things and innovation. But then they didn't follow the uh, digital transformation wave and they were disrupted. In Spanish, when you take some letters out of Radio Shack, it's spelled adios, which means goodbye, right? So Cirque du Soleil and others that weren't able to portray the best steps moving forward. But we do have a lot of technologies to help on those transformations and how to monetize those relationships. So we're seeing things like interactive volumetric streaming media. So those are 3D imaging that you use. They call it time of flight sensors that they use to portray photorealistic hologram renderings of environments and people and players and musicians. So you can interact with them in a way that you feel immersive even more on those experiences in venue and out of venue. And if by any chance another pandemic hits, if somebody is taking advantage of this type of technology to bring a next step of immersion, alternative realities or, or metaverses into the people's home or the people that are consuming that content, maybe they will be successful going through the pandemic, right? So how do you use technology to reinvent your business and then monetize that relationship moving forward like Uber did, right? So Uber did a what we call a combinatorial disruption in three types of experiences. And that is part of that study that I mentioned with the digital vortex. And they were able to disrupt the transportation market. So who and how are we disrupting on the sports, media and entertainment market using the technologies? That's pretty great. And for sure, there's so much to come, right? That's such an exciting universe you're living, right? <laughs> I love it. You know, I'm sports, media, and entertainment, but I'm more on the entertainment side because I'm a drummer. So, you know, even though I love sports media as well, but yeah, exciting vertical. How far do you think we, we can go when talking about this merge between, let's talk about sports, the merge between the virtual space and reality, whatever reality means, because, you know, feature hacker, <laughs> but still... Like, do you think we'll get, like, let's say that there's a race on the other side of the world and, and we are into it, we, we will be able to actually be competing once against the other and the famous ones? Like, how, how are you guys seeing this future? Yeah, no, that's a great point, Maria, because uh, we see that the uh, physical athlete or the physical pilot in a race, to your example, are the traditional sports model, right? And we see a two steps on the future of the uh, the competition with the athletes. For example, we see bionics coming in, you know, greatly changing the aspects or the physical aspects of athletes that might or might not have any disability, but you know, they're bionic in a way. We were talking, for example, I was just in a call before our interview talking about IoT and sensors and the future of IoT and sensors in sports and media with Israel. Unfortunately, Israel is going through everything, but you know, everybody's working there and talking about innovation and they're very focused, you know, on how to bring, for example, electronic skins to athletes in a way that it's seamless. You're going to be using this in a way that you can have those 
data points coming in for a better performance, a structuring of exercises and movements, but also you're going to use the same data to portray entertainment visibility to the users that are, are watching the game with uh, augmented reality or virtual reality, where you're going to see the athlete's performance, you're going to interact with them like you do in a video game, in a soccer game, for example, you see how tired the player is, or, you know, injured or not, or is, is it coming out of an injury and now he's good. And also parallel, you know, monetizations of those relations with sports betting and, and some crazy stuff, right? So we see the bionic and cyber, cyber, let's put it that way, athletes coming into play. And also thirdly, and lastly, but not least, the virtual aspect. So the esports gamers, to your point, that are going to be able to compete against the traditional physical, the non-traditional cyborg in the middle type of play and the guy or girl that is sitting at home with their mouse or whatever console or hypersurface type of uh, medium that they're using to interact with the game live using live data again to your point to the races right so racing can portray the telemetry live to a cloud and the cloud is ingesting all this telemetry data to all these kind of esports players around the world that can race against, for example, Hamilton in the next Formula One race. And then they can have a championship and a tournament in a mixed type of reality of these three types of athletes. So it's it's crazy. I love thinking about these things. And I think they're gonna be there pretty soon, not so much into the future. I would bet against Jules Verne's, you know, Jules Verne's, who is a famous futurist, right? And writer from his time. I love his stories. 20,000 leagues under the sea, etc. He was able to envision this because he did a process on the future study of how, you know, you learn from history, how you can be innovative, how can you create outside the box, how can you use tools, how can you think alone, not only on community, we learn from community, but you have to think alone because you don't need to be biased by creativity, right? So, and then using all those to portray these future interactions. I just love your answer. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, everybody, we're coming to the end of this first episode, but still, I, I don't think you answered. How far, how far are we from that? Like, is it going to be your grandpa version, like you with you know, your white hair and just saying, well, this is so weird to me, or do you think the adult version of your kids or like, when, like how many generations or is that that far? You said it's not that far. What do you mean by that? Uh, okay, so we're talking future, future here. So I would say I'm dreaming 20, 30 years ahead, okay? And in a way that, for example, you mentioned my kids. So I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. I don't think they're going to drive, for example. They're going to be driven. So I don't think they're going to interact with sports like they're learning. So he's at school now and he's learning how to play soccer or whatnot. But he's also learning how to play video games and he's in his mind he's creating his little sponge to interact on both worlds in a way that we don't know how they're going to do so i think in a 20 30 year time frame that's going to be the standard awesome so you know it's recorded <laughs> call me on that and let's you're getting back to you we're getting back to you awesome Thank you. So listen, we still have a lot to talk about. So stay tuned, everybody. We're moving on to the second episode of Future Hacker. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.